Hey folks, this week we had a little trouble with Max's audio, so it's not your sets. Don't worry about adjusting your knobs or twiddling the um, controls or that thing you do. It's, uh, it's a little problem. Sorry we couldn't correct it in time, but thanks for listening. Spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Welcome to another episode in that epic radio drama, Max Mike Movies. This week, will Darla finally come out of that coma? Can Lou fix that flat tire? And will Janine finally discover her long-lost twin sisters in a barn outside of town? Uh, uh, oh, wait. Um, Wait, this is the movie one. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. Uh, excuse me. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this week on our show, me and Max, that ribald raconteur, will be discussing another film in our series of Guilty Pleasures. Ooh, guilty. Ooh. We're so naughty. Oh, naughty I am. And what film could be guiltier than the 1999 film The Ninth Gate? Well, uh, a lot, I'll admit, but uh, we're stretching the usual definition of guilty pleasure, which usually denotes a movie that's just not very good, but which we love like love, like we love little ponies. We include films that we might feel guilty for liking for, well, shall we say, <laughs> other reasons. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm your host that actually wears socks, Mike Luce, and my cohort and critique is that master of mystery, that man about fish, Max Levine. Say something nice to the people, Max. Hello, nice people. I will not wear socks. I don't care what you people say. (laughs) And you know, that's why people come back week after week, isn't it? Yep, it is. And and speaking of coming back week after week, you can come back week after week to our amazing website, which is, in fact, MaxMikeMovies.com. If you want to write us and tell us to wear socks, you can get us at us at MaxMikeMovies.com. It will avail you not. (laughs) Wear your socks. No. (laughs) I don't want to. No, they hurt me feet. Um... (laughs) You can twit us on the twatter or that Twa- thing. Twaddler. Twaddler. Twiddler. Yeah. Toodlers. Tiddlers. Tweedledee and Tweedledumber. And of course, we are Max Mike Movies there. Of course, don't forget the plort. That's nope. our new catchphrase. Don't forget the plort. Yep. And finally, we of course have our Facebook page, which, hey, guess what that is? Oh, um, um, Fantastic Beasts and How to Cook Them. Fired again. Uh. Ah, well. No, it is, of course, Max Mike Movies. And, uh, right, so this week, this is our third entry into the Guilty Pleasures. Stop trying to make that a song. It's not going to work. I'm still working on the lyrics to our theme song. (laughs) We have a theme song? Don't you listen right before that that whole thing? You You don't. I do, but you can't put lyrics to that. It's just... uh, Sure you you can. And we're going to try next week on Max Mike. <laughs> You'll ruin the magic. <laughs> magic. Right. So this week we are talking about the 1999 film, The Ninth Gate, as I mentioned. Uh, it is um, guilty, yeah. guilty, mm. guilty, guilty for a couple of large reasons. One of which uh, I will say that it was guilty of when it came out and the other of which it got guilty of over time. The mm. first with first uh, reason that it is guilty, guilty, guilty is that is a... Um, say roman polanski film ouch yeah and for those who don't know and if you watch movies at all and you don't know 
Yeah, Roman Polanski, to be fair, he's never been brought to trial because he's never set foot back in the United States. Um, he, so we can't say that he is guilty of, but he is Yes, accused, we can. Yeah, probably. Um, he is accused of uh, raping a 13-year-old girl. But the man continues to make movies pretty much everywhere but the United States. And uh, we talked a little bit about this form of guilt back in episode three when we brought up uh, Mr. Spacey's performance in The Big Kahuna. And uh, I'm sure Max and I will be talking about how guilty and, and, and greasy and icky we felt watching this film later on in the show. The other potentially guilty issue is uh, an actor who has um, been... Um, yeah. in the news <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot because he is apparently a reprehensible um, partner uh, and that would be Johnny Depp yeah accused of uh, domestic battery yeah um, so you may be wondering what is wrong with you people that you are having this movie it was him your... <laughs> him him he made me do it he made me watch it <laughs> it's true I yes. uh, yeah there's something about this film that I've watched it over and over again, and I don't know why I like it so much. I have some guesses, and we'll get to that later. But, uh, yeah, so this week, The Ninth Gate, if right off the bat you are like, hey, I can't show any kind of support for either of these two, two people in any way, shape, or form, and you would like to skip ahead to the ending or wait till next week, that's fine. We'll understand. We will still accept your large cash donations. However, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, so but we'll feel guilty about it. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in trivia, mm -hmm. we have some trivia, some of ah. which I just gave away. Hey, <laughs> the show. Truman, uh, Truman Capote. Where did I get Truman what? Capote from? I don't know. I don't, I went there and I, I panicked. I panicked. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Rowan Polanski. So we gave that away and we gave the Johnny Bet. So hey, in this film, there is a a little book repair shop in Spain that is owned by the Brothers Siniza. Interestingly, they were played by the same actor uh, who actually wasn't an actor. He was an assistant director. They used a motion capture suit, oh. which was interesting because it's 1999, so it was really early for that. It's kind um, of cutting edge, yeah. And I, I, thought it, I, I kind of thought it was either twins or there was something going on because visually it looks like there's something a little, I don't know, squeaky. It, the point of focus is a little weird when they're both in shot. Yeah, what I did never knew until looking up stuff for this show, was that the same guy plays the two guys who are taking apart the store in the end of the movie. Oh. Yeah. I didn't I, know that either. Huh. Yeah. And also the voice for the, the brother Siniza was dubbed by Roman Polanski. So, <clears throat> yeah. Oh. He does like to slip into the movies there. He shows up in uh, Chinatown, too. Does he? Yeah. He also plays a tag one of the taxi drivers, not the Indian taxi driver, but uh, one of the taxi drivers in this film, too. Siniza oh. uh, apparently in Spanish means ash, which is interesting because one of the brothers of this shop that repairs ancient books is smoking, which everyone in this film does. Boy, it's yeah. stuff changed. And yeah, he, we'll get to that. He dumps some ash right on the cover and just goes eh, and brushes it off because, you know, it's fine. Um, at the time, Johnny Depp declined his usual $10 million fee. I'm going to go over that one more time. $10 million fee just to work with Roman Polanski. Now, that was in 1999. I don't know what his fee is now. I don't want to know. Um, here's an icky little fact. So at one point we see the character known simply as The Girl, and we'll be discussing her, mm -hmm. reading a book called How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies. 
Um, yeah, the book has been known to have been read by Charles Manson, who happened to murder Roman Polanski's wife, Sharon Tate. Oops. Yeah, that's that's not creepy. That's that's not creepy at all. Um, at one point, Corso. I need and, another shower. <laughs> at one point, Corso and the girl are driving a Dodge Viper. Viper, get it? Oh, Viper like the snake, because it's the order of the. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Apparently, I'm guilty of, oh, of destroying it Max. It hurts. <laughs> oh come on! I had to watch strange music. Um, Corso at one point said his name is Italian for runner. It's apparently actually a word meaning main street. Oh. Yeah, hmm. I, I looked it up because I was I was I thought it had something to do with crows or ravens, but no, hmm. apparently not. Um, the movie is an adaptation of a book called The Club Dumas, which has a lot more to do with Corso oh. trying to authenticate a Dumas manuscript. Oh, uh, that makes well, more sense. I thought I looked I saw that too, and I thought it was Club Dumbass. <laughs> That's, that, well, that does make more sense. Right. Yeah, yeah, Dumas, which is, you know, the guy who wrote The Three Musketeers, which right. also makes an appearance in this film. Mm -hmm. uh, in that book, the girl is a fallen angel who has been looking for Corso for apparently millennia. Uh, why it took her so long, I don't know. In the movie, her identity is never sure, though she evinces some supernatural powers. And again, yeah, she we'll... friggin' flies. Only twice. Yeah. <laughs> and she doesn't really fly, she just sort of walks. She doesn't, she doesn't so much fly as plummet. <laughs> she does not. She, she lands very gracefully. Uh, <laughs> this film has a 47% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I'm actually moving up from my, uh, my first entry into this series. So you can't yeah. complain, Max. Watch me. Do, do, do you have any trivia that you wanted to add to this mix? Uh, I don't know if it's so much trivia, but there's a certain plot point which you mentioned which really just bugged the hell out of me. Look, uh, I was trained with rare books for a while. That was part of my graduate studies. They took me into rare books rooms. They showed us the protocols. <laughs> Are you going to talk about everybody's handling of any book in this room? I don't know what these people do with these things, but those are not rare books. They're obviously building materials <laughs> because, my God, they throw them around. They set their drinks on them. And never mind the fact that it, they all smoke like chimneys. Yeah. Around the, these rare books, any rare book custodian in the last hundred years would friggin' shoot you if you lit up a cigarette anywhere near one of those books. Cigarette smoke is terrible for them. It changes the color of the pages. The smell gets into the paper. You they, and nobody wears gloves. So I have a little story that will actually counter something you just a lot of what you just said. Really. Yes, believe it or not. So uh, when I used to work at the Million Year Picnic, New England's best and oldest comic book store located conveniently in Harvard Square, <laughs> Cambridge. Uh, and, you know, no, no plug-in allowed. Tell them Max and Mike sent you. <laughs> you get an extra? No, you won't. Um, <laughs> one of my customers worked in the antiquarian book field. And by antiquarian, I don't mean, oh, you know, a first printing of Catcher in the Rye. No, I mean like, you know, 15th, 16th, 17th century handwritten monk manuscripts, that kind of thing. Um, one day he walked into the store to get his subscription and he said, oh, Mike, I think you might be interested in this. And he handed me this book and it was this little book. And, you know, I, you know, I had a leather cover and stuff and I'm looking through and I realized that what it was, was a, it was a hand illuminated book, which I later found out was what's called a book of hours. A book mm -hmm. of hours is, is a devotional where each page has this ridiculously amazing hand-painted picture of stuff you're supposed to do you know like you know oh pray to this person pray to that person blah 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 
but it's this entirely handmade, hand-painted, hand-lettered book. And I had just finished a candy bar. Literally just, yeah. like, I could have had, you so know... So this, this was a medieval text? Yes. <laughs> okay, let me, let me counter that. Now, wait, wait, I'm not done. Yeah. So he went to get his sub, and I happened to turn over the um, container that the book originally had been in and saw the price, by the way, $50,000. And I was like, blank, are you insane? Why did you just hand this to me? I just had a candy bar. And he says, oh, I know you'd be careful. Habba, habba, oh. habba, habba. And Okay, fair, I'm sorry. Your friend was bad at his job. To be fair, when he had me go and visit him at the Antiquarian Book Fair that used to be held in downtown Boston, I saw all the dealers doing the same thing. There are some books you can do that with. With the older medieval books, because they weren't printed on paper, they were printed on vellum. And we're not going to tell you what that is because it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, well, it's much more durable and it can take a tremendous amount because, let's face it, they just threw them in damp cellars and they didn't have humidity or climate control. Those books can practically bounce bullets. These guys are dealing with about 15th through 18th century texts. Those are mostly printed on at least parchment or paper. And you don't smoke around them and you don't turn the pages with your bare hands. You just hey. don't. Do you press them flat to a photocopier? <laughs> no, you don't do you don't break the spine to friggin' Xerox them either. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, these people didn't know what the hell they were doing with these books. Well, now when Corso himself treats the books that way, I didn't mind it as such because one of the points I think of the character Corso, and we're about to get to the plot, but one of the points of the of the character Corso, I think, was to show that he really didn't have respect for anything. Hmm. Um, but the other people, like there was literally nobody in this movie that treated the books with really any care at all. Or when they saw other people mistreating the books, there, heck, there's one of them who has this this, this woman named uh, Baroness Kessler who has a copy of this this amazing book. And she's got all this stuff stuck in it. Like she's got, I mean, they didn't have post-it notes or maybe they did, but she's got postcards and folded up envelopes. And it's like, you can tell that the book is now at least a quarter thicker than it used yeah. to be because all this junk, which yeah, I'm sure... has been stretched. The binding yeah. is now re damaged. Yeah, so anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's that a aside. minor point, but that really irritated me because it's consistent throughout the story. Right. Let's get to that plot. Yeah. So, rare book detective Dean Corso is hired by satanic book aficionado Boris Balkin to seek out two other copies of a rare old book he owns that's supposed to be able to raise the devil. Ooh. Corso soon realizes that his large paycheck isn't going to be nearly enough as bad stuff is following all too closely in his footprints. Or is it footsteps? I can never keep those two apart. Footsteps, footsteps. Oh, yeah, footsteps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from Luca. <laughs> Upon closer examination of the various copies, he concludes that while all three are genuine, the engravings, nine in total, get it, are not identical and that all three copies of the book hold part of the original whole. It's a race to see who can get all nine original engravings together first, and who, if anyone, can raise the devil. Ooga booga 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 booga. That's the plot. Yeah, pretty much. So, now where Max goes and tells us about how much he hates this film. <laughs> the Lowdown. Okay, I don't hate I don't hate this film. I I I don't uh, I don't particularly like it. I thought it was okay. okay. I mean, First of all, there is something not just about knowing who Roman Polanski is that yes. makes you want to take a shower after every scene. There is just something creepy about the way he makes movies. 
especially the women in the movies, the way he deals with them. Have you ever seen Rosemary's Baby? Yikes. I have, I have not, and I'm betting you've probably seen more Polanski films than I have, mm-hmm. although I may have seen one of his earlier films that I really like that I don't think you have, which is called Knife and Water. Yeah, I never saw that. Yeah. Uh, no, the thing is, the worst thing about it is Polanski is an incredibly talented director. He really pay, he uses a camera to paint a picture. It's his stuff is beautiful to look at. His pacing is really good. He always every place he, he you're always really interested in wherever you are. He's good. He's just there is regardless of even if you knew nothing about him, there's always something just grungy about his work. There's something like there's a patina of unpleasantness over it. <laughs> really hard to achieve you know most people have to spread that on with a trowel i know he, yeah. he's yeah, very it, subtle see so he so when you're looking for for greasy grunge this is the person <laughs> to go to yeah this is this is yeah he's really good at it um again i i think uh yeah, the story's kind of interesting it's in a lot of ways a very it you can sort of see it coming pretty far off it's it's like every person he goes to visit he says oh go and he talks to frank langella excuse me uh, Boris Balkin, who is there to make big trouble for moose and squirrel. Okay, that's that is unfair. He does not, you know. Frank Langella sounds like Frank Langella. It's not. He's not doing a, a goofy ass accent. No, and I think he actually does a really good job. The poor guy, he got sort of shoehorned when he did Dracula in the seventies, mm. and then he got really screwed over when he accepted the paycheck for Skeletor. Oh, I assume he really had mortgage payments he had to make. I hope so. Did you see Frank? I didn't see Frank. Frank? You mean Dave? No, the, the movie the one about the president. Plays... No, 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 no. Oh. So this is a more recent film. It's about he plays. I, I can't remember if he's. Oh, Frank, the Frank. Ro- Frank and the ro- or the robot and Frank. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Frank yeah. The... No, I didn't. I heard that was really good, but really hard to watch. But I think he he comes off as exceedingly subtly and quietly menacing. Like Boris Balkan mm. never says what he's going to do you realize he's doing them and of course corso realizes that he's really in a pit at one point but balkan mm-hmm. never actually says anything um I, I don't know i thought his performance was actually pretty much everybody's performance is good i applaud i hate to applaud johnny depp but this is not a pleasant character no he's a very unlikable person and he and, went ahead and played it and he's still interesting you still want to see what happens to him yeah um no, actually, I, I, I love, yeah, the acting is really good. Uh, the yeah, it, it's yeah. I like the opening shot. It tells us um, what the movie's about: death and books, right there in the beginning. Uh, and he actually kind of focuses on the stool that this character—we don't even know who he is yet—but this this character is about to hang himself with. And the stool actually comes off as a character, like, <laughs> "Oh, something goofy's gonna happen on me soon." Ooh, ba-doo, ba-doo. Well, not really. It doesn't. I like that. But the way he focuses on it, it's like the stool is almost like a dog waiting for something to happen. Um, he he does have an interesting use of the camera. I did notice the film was tend to had a very yellow tint to it, which I wonder if that was on purpose or I don't know. Yeah, were... he he likes doing stuff like that. He has he does stuff with the weird color filters and such. Mm, yeah, yellow film, mm. uh, which is better than pink films because yeah, that's mm. a whole other. No more pink films. Um, that was actually a, a buy oh. lot. Well, <laughs> we used to go to the science fiction marathons. A pink film is a film where the print has been shown so many times that all of the colors have faded except ah, pink. Ah, okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah, like Thunderbirds are slow. Um, <laughs> that was one of them. Uh, yeah, and as I was saying, Corso is a blank. And we get this in the opening because 
right off the bat, we can see that he's just slime. Yeah, he's he's very he is a uh, sleazy book detective. He's there to basically ch- he's perfectly willing to cheat people out of incredibly valuable books. Yep. He's perfectly willing to screw up his screw with his colleagues just because. Mm-hmm. Um, he also uh, th- this is interesting. I found out I didn't put this in the trivia, but apparently he and Polanski had artistic differences. Even though uh, Depp was like, "Well, I'll waive my ten million dollars on this film because I'm getting it on so many other films, mm. so I can work with Polanski." But apparently he was upset because Polanski did not give him a lot of direction, huh. and. Uh, and he was like, I think the character comes off fairly flat, and I really wish Polanski had told me what he wanted. And Polanski was like, well, he basically did what the character's like in the book, which is kind of what I wanted, so I don't understand what his problem is, but whatever. Um, I didn't read the book. I meant to. I, th- I actually thought I had, because I remember looking it up at one point, um, but I, I didn't get around to it, but I, I might. Hmm. Which I'm sure is very interesting to our Oh, hey, guess what Mike's going to read next? It's a book with words in it. Welcome Enjoy. Our new, our new segment, What's Mike Reading? <laughs> now, admittedly, there's some other stuff I think is kind of heavy-handed, like the two times they use the 666 code to get into uh, the elevator and to the rare book collection. Yes, that was a little obvious. It's like, hey, everyone, look, evil, evil, evil. <laughs> now, to be fair, at least with the one where uh, uh, Frank Langella is letting him into his collection, he says... This is a book. These are satanic books. These are books about the devil. This is my right. whole collection about the devil. And I'm think. And I actually thought, oh God, please tell me the code isn't six six six. Not because it's a cliche, but that's the stupidest possible code you could have. I did. I used to work in computer security, and that is the dumbest, easiest to guess passcode you could possibly have, other than one two three four. Never wait, mind that wait, it, it's one, only two, a three four is a bad passcode. Yes, oh. yes it is. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, excuse me, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> somebody changed the somebody changed the passcode on my luggage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, you know. It, yeah, it that, also that, was, just, that was just dumb. But I think yeah. it would have been fine if it had been like barely in shot. But both yeah. times it's like, look what I'm going to do, evil, evil, evil. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do love the point though, where early in the film where he's they're, they're in that little hermetically sealed cube of glass with all the books, uh, and then they come out and look at the, the nine gates. Um, uh, and, of course, it's the one book that's not protected, and it's right by a window, and there's a light <laughs> on it, and it's like, okay. Um, I like how uh, he's like, oh, I'm worried about its authenticity, and, of course, it's like, why, you tried it and the devil didn't show up? And Boris Balkan doesn't even blink. He just is like, and, of course, it's like, ah... I'm dealing with cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> I'm going home now. That would be yeah. a sensible thing. Yeah. I, I just liked that because it just shows again, you know, hey, Corso's willing to deal in this stuff. And he even says, it's like, hey, I don't have to like you. You're a client. Um, and I think that's what I like about the character is that as greasy as he is, he's honest. And he's not, there's no pretense about Corso. He's just, yeah, whatever. I'm here for the bucks. Um I also like just little bits like this is a lot of uh, there's a lot of show don't tell in this film, which is great. I love the scene where he goes back to his own apartment and it's dinner time and he literally takes a frozen dinner in its box out of his freezer and throws it whole into the microwave <laughs> while he's drinking top shelf whiskey. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, my God, he do drink a lot, don't he? Oh my God, the only thing he does in this film is drink and smoke and drink and smoke. And of course, he aims high. He goes right for the luckies. Oh, yeah. He's got his luckies, but he does always get the fancy booze. Yes, you know, he likes his uh, he likes his uh, chewing tobacco that's rolled up and smokable, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Well, of course, I guess the, the one of the ideas was that as a, a book detective or whatever you want to call him, there was supposed to be a feeling of old noir films, which, uh, except for it hard being in color. hard smoking, yep. And he is. I mean, I don't you literally never, I think he drinks, he might, no, 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 because when he's in that cafe, he has something alcoholic, yep, I was going to say. Yep. I, I think we see him drink something not alcoholic once, but no, actually we don't. So nope, He's always pounding it down, that is true. I also uh, thought that there was really good depiction really good contrast of these people who have money mm. and their world being i mean they might as well be on saturn <laughs> because the stuff that mattered to them and that, that's going on in their lives has nothing to do with ours mm. i mean can you picture any of these people you know paying a bill <laughs> god no they they have their people do that yeah i mean just normal things they probably would have no idea how to do yeah, but it's I, like, oh, oh yes here over here, this is the you know the, the height of my life. A bunch of old books I have that are worth more than an entire apartment building. Yeah. I mean, my God, when he's even when he's quoting that collection of these people, and even if he's inflating it, he says, "Yeah, it's worth about six hundred thousand dollars." And they're like, "What?" And it's like, "Well, it's only worth three hundred thousand dollars." But you know, I'll take this four copy Ibarra. Uh, and I think that was the Ibarra was the uh, it was publisher Quixote. or yeah, yeah yeah but I think it was the either the publisher or the book I don't remember I'd actually heard of that so Don Quixote the one that we read usually we shove it all into one paperback but apparently yeah. originally came out in four volumes yeah and it was this giant thing so I've never read it have you yeah I have actually and it's, how is it it's okay I mean the problem is we know all the good parts because they pick them they pick and choose them there are law there's a lot of social commentary in Cervantes. How Which, are the songs? The, the what? The songs. There are no songs. that w- no, Oh, come <laughs> on. I am I, Don Quixote, the <laughs> Lord of... Come on! Uh-oh. Yes, that and To Dream the Impossible Dream. Name, right. one, name one other song from Man of La Mancha. Um, yeah. um, uh, Pancho, Get My Stick? No. Uh, <laughs> it's Sancho and... The no. windmills, they are a tilting? <laughs> uh, <laughs> windmills of your mind. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, are, no, are there any other songs? Is it just a two-song musical? No, no, there's a song about Dulcinea, and there's something... I think Sancho gets one. I, I've never seen the show. I've uh, just heard part of the soundtrack. Now, wait, that wasn't... That was uh, Richard... What's his name? Who? who uh, uh, yeah, uh, Richard Kiley, I believe. Was it Kylie? Okay, I think so. He was—he's uh, that's what he's really well known for. <laughs> he used to show up on those like late night infomercial records, you know, and it's like, oh, Richard Kylie, you might remember him from, but you probably didn't know he did this. And they're <laughs> yeah. like, you're right, I didn't. Uh, thank you for informing me, T. Richard Kylie, who we all know from Deep Space Nine. Um, huh? <laughs> he was—he was on an episode of Deep Space Nine. He that, was? No, yes, he was. Did he sing? No, he oh. should have. Oh. So anyway, you're telling me us that oh, yeah. the, the songs in the original version of um, Man of <laughs> there Don, are, Yes, there there are no songs. Don Quixote for our Don, British Don, listeners. Don, yep, that's right. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. Um, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. You were saying it's okay. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, parts of it are, are funny, and historically it's really interesting, and it's great as far as the history of literature of comedy, which is what I was reading it for. But it's just, for most people, it's not going to be something you sit down and read for fun. Okay, I think we can do better than that. 
Don't ask Brad and Janet, they lie. Oh, wow, God. we just went from a Roman wow. Polanski movie to a Cervantes novel to, to Rocky Horror, Rocky Picture, Horror Picture, Show. Picture Show. Yeah, okay. I, I think we have non sequitur bingo. Yay! I win. I win the prize. I win the prize. Anyway, so you, 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 now it is uh, Three Musketeers. Um, Three Musketeers. Um, uh, Don Quixote considered a comedy. Yeah, it is actually. It's it's a sat. Well, it's a satire. Oh, what is it satirizing? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh boy. Well, Cervantes was pretty pissed off at like the Spanish nobility. Uh huh. And it's basically making fun of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, them and their windmills. <laughs> Damn you, Spanish nobility. Take that. Grr. <laughs> and another for Jenny and the Wimp. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the book, I didn't read the book, um, but it sounded like it might be kind of interesting. Um, obviously, he, he played fast and loose with the plot, although he I, it actually, from what I read, he kept fairly close, except for this entire um, Don Quixote part. You know, which is Man. much bigger. Basically, he's trying to, uh, Corso is trying to authenticate the script, and people keep saying, no, no, no. And he goes, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and they go, no, no. And eventually he gets to the, the secret society, and they're like, well, yeah, it's the real script. And it's like, oh, uh, thank you, evil lady. Uh, and then that's when the Nine Gates part comes out, and, you know, evil. So uh, if I might, Max, yeah. assuming you didn't absolutely hate this film what parts of it did you like well like i said i uh, visually it's it's terrific it's beautiful to look at the performances are really good uh i i liked the weird relationship between between uh corso and the girl who has Mm -hmm. no name no um yeah honestly she was my favorite character why was she your favorite character First off, she was the only one who at any time seems to do anything nice for anybody, which is protect Corso. Even little things, like a guy drops a cigarette and she walks over and puts it out. Yeah, well, we can guess who the guy putting the cigarette out was. Right? Yeah, 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 it's uh, it's the albino. <laughs> <laughs> which, I know they call him that at one point, but it's like, um, do you know what albino means? Cause... Yeah, I know, he's a black guy with dyed hair. Yeah, so I don't, but, yeah, whatever. Yeah. No, no, he's... Uh, she... She puts it out, and uh, you know she's always there. She's there to help him, and uh, she's and she can fly. Yeah, she can fly, and she can kick ass. I did, I wasn't sure about the, the. I thought at first she might be a fallen angel. Then I was thinking, you know, toward the end, they make kind of a thing about her resemblance to one of the characters in the uh, engravings, and a lot of the engravings, which, by the way, I remember looking at it and thinking, "Wow, you didn't even try for anything original, did you?" What do you mean? Half of them are, well, a couple of them look like tarot cards. A couple of them look like really standard. I mean, the guy hanged upside down, that's St. That Saint Peter. There's a, and the, the woman riding on the Hydra, which is what, you know, she the one she looks like, that's the Whore of Babylon. That's an image from Revelations. Well, so the one of her on the Hydra is the only one that was made for the movie. Uh-huh. And it was made specifically to look like her. Uh-huh. The other ones were actually the ones from the novel the movie was based on. Now, interestingly, I don't know if you noticed this, because I didn't quite notice it the first, I don't know, six times I've watched this movie. <laughs> but the brothers Siniza, like one of them resembles one of the guy who's floating in the clouds with the arrow. Oh, I didn't notice that. The, de- the, de- the detail in the drawings I didn't think was that uh, complete. And then the guy, uh, Vargas, who's the old man with the collection and who's got, you know, basically no money left. Yeah. He also looks like one of the engravings. He looks like the guy with the keys, yeah. Yes, yeah. So what else? Yeah. Was there anything else that, that you liked? or? 
Um, and we should talk about the girl too. But so you thought? Okay, I'm gonna actually let's bring up the girl. You thought she was? You said fallen angel came to mind. That's yeah. never come to my mind until I looked up trivia and I looked up the plot of the book, and it's like, oh. Oh, that's not what I thought. Well, that so, was it. Yeah, like I say, that's at first what I thought, and then as that went on, I thought, okay, no, she's a demon. She okay. has, yeah. But which, which is, which is, by the way, in some variants, what a demon is—a fallen right. angel. I went all the way, and I thought she was supposed to be the prince of darkness. Ooh, yes, I mean Booberry. Uh, <laughs> I never thought that. I never thought she was the principal uh, bad guy. And I will admit, part of that is a preconception because Roman Polanski doesn't do that. He doesn't do what? He doesn't put women in powerful positions. Oh. Well, she kind of was in this one. Kind of, but she was they're never the boss. They're never the big the big sort. Well, what did you think her either her motivation or what was she trying to accomplish? That part I don't know. I never really got that. It was one of the things I didn't like about the movie. Especially toward the end, you get less and less information. It does I, get kind of vague. Yeah, and stuff like when she tells him, you know, when she asks, why didn't the ritual... Yeah, spoilers, okay, you know, uh, <laughs> Boris Badenoff tries to <laughs> perform... <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sorry, Bor- Boris Falkland tries to... Uh, oh, no, Balkan, whatever. Yeah. Try, t- completes the ritual and says, ah, I, you know, and turns basically into the Highlander. You know, I am everything! Okay. <laughs> Oh, oh, right, Invincible, just like Boris, what's his name, from Goldeneye. Wow, I never thought of that connection before. (laughs) Yeah, and of course it turns out he's wrong. (laughs) Wait, wait, which leads back to last week's episode because Boris was played by Alan Cumming. Strange, I'm starting to see a pattern, Max. Mm. Mm. It's a weird pattern, and it doesn't mean anything, but I'm seeing it nonetheless. Anyway. Well, go lie down for a while and maybe you'll stop seeing it. <laughs> I think I'm sweating. <laughs> yeah, so... Vulcan uh, makes it. He, he does the ritual. He gets the... He figures out that it's the nine... You know, he has to put the nine engravings in some order. I don't know why. I don't know what it is about the engravings. We are not told. We're also never told why the guy hid them. If he wanted people to, you know, follow his beliefs, because the author of this book, what is it, The Nine Gates of the Kingdom of Shadows, which is what the book uh, Johnny Depp is lugging around that has the satanic symbol on it and such and is looking for other copies. They never say why he didn't just say, okay, hey, here's how to summon the devil. Well, I think that the the idea behind that was because he was burned at the stake for even doing this was that he knew that if he did anything blatant that Mm. his whole thing seemed to be to keep the copy of a book that was actually written by the devil ooh, uh, out there for people who wanted it to find and if he put it all in one book and they burned every copy of that book then that wouldn't be it wouldn't work yeah, so no, he that, made it a little harder sense. that makes sense yeah. sure. and to be fair I've seen this way many more times than you have and I'm guessing you're not going to rush to see it again but you know I could yeah. uh, I'm going to say that I, I the the girl character it confused me I used to think that she was Satan again after having read the the um, trivia or the plot for the original novel and they were saying she's a fallen angel that makes a lot more sense and my guess is that her whole thing is she just wants to corrupt him now uh, why in the book she's been looking for corso in particular i don't know yeah because that in the beginning that is a, yeah I, I we can't use the book because no we, you know, this is about the movie so but in the movie there's no real her motivation is completely obscured we don't know why she wants him to succeed we don't even know at some point if she wants him to succeed, because at one point, 
you know, when the castle's on, they've had fun storming the castle, <laughs> and they're leaving, and Maui. she says, it's it's over, you know, you've got your paycheck, the books, he, he's satisfied, go home. And he says, I can't. He says, I, ha- you, I need that last engraving, I want it, and you know, and he says, you know why? It's like, okay, I'm glad she does, because we, the audience, don't. Unless it's just he needs a sense of completion, he wants to... And clearly at the end he wants all nine because he wants to be, you know, the Antichrist or the super powerful guy. Yeah. Well, that's, at least that's how I took it. I mean, that's what I assume happens at the end. I, I, I don't even know. And I will admit that the ending is very vague. And yeah. I've never been able to quite parse it out. And part of me doesn't mind. Um, you know, again, if we bring the book into it, it tells us what Balkan was trying to do. But we can't do that because if I use the book, yeah. Max will hurt me. Yeah, I'm sorry that I I have never I don't like that I've ne- I've always no. had a problem with that kind of criticism. It's like oh well in the book it said I don't, <laughs> I don't care. It's the same. We get to ha- apply that to every Harry Potter film ever it, made. <laughs> yes, that's my that was actually one of my big problems with the Harry Potter movies. I'll say that right now. I don't like the movies. I don't think they're very good. Some of it are they have some good moments. Some of the performances are good. They're okay. But if you haven't read the books. The movies are unbelievably shallow and don't make a lot of sense. And if you have read the books, you realize what's left out. And I'm sorry, a, mo- a, a, a piece of art in one medium has to be able to stand on itself. You cannot, I don't accept that you can say to me, oh, it's great if you read the book. Now, on the other side, I'm going to have to agree with Max. <laughs> because, yeah, I, it, you shouldn't have to do a read a primer yeah. Um, the only time you should read a primer is if you go to an opera, because even yeah. in English, you cannot understand what those people are singing. Yeah, that's only fair. I mean, everybody reads the libretto or the what or, or the summary or something before, because yeah, otherwise, like, wait, what? Why? Why? Why is that? Why? Why did that guy put on a two, a tiny domino mask and now nobody knows who he is? And the, why? The, the weirdest version of an opera, and I wish I could remember which one it was. Um, the two leads were played by twin black opera singers who also apparently were really into physical fitness because they wasted no opportunity when they came on stage to stripping down to their pants okay. and so if you didn't read the i know i didn't mind so uh <laughs> if you're reading the libretto you're simply going okay why is he taking his clothes off why is he doing this it's like oh that's not in there hun just <laughs> just go um yeah but otherwise yeah. you know the few operas i've seen it's just like why is that statue coming out of the hold of that ship? Why is that giant stone statue singing, and why is it wrecking things? <laughs> I wish I was making that up. That's Don Giovanni, for those of you oh, paying attention oh, at home. God. Yeah, there's a yes. living statue that just shows up from the hold of the ship, and I will kill you now, and you know all that stuff. Ah, oh. Mozart smash! <laughs> ah. Mozart hate hate puny Salieri. <laughs> Puny banner like popular music. Uh, Ah, Mozart smash baroque period. Ah. Yeah, so make mine Marvel. Uh, Max and I of the Merry Marvel Marching Society. That's right, true believers. (laughs) Yeah, because we take all of this stuff seriously. No, no, no. I, I I definitely agree. If you, if if you need like a companion to tell you what's going on then you're not doing your job yeah the right? movie the, yeah the movie if it needs a book you the movie's doing it wrong yeah and i, I will say that you know again and we're, we're about to get to that point where we discuss the greasiest part of this film uh polanski 
this is a turning point, I want to say, in a lot of ways for film. Because in the late 90s, early 2000s, we started getting, and I couldn't point at a particular film that did this, but we started getting a lot more tell-don't-show. And it's only just snowballed mm. way into this giant thing of snow <laughs> enormous amounts of exposition although you had uh, those earlier too a lot some of the movies in the 30s and 40s yeah got but a lot it, of, especially like the noir films and the detective films there was an awful lot of ah so you want to know why i want why i want to get a hold of this dame huh well i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna tell you for 15 minutes that's right see <laughs> but then it was it, that was still when films were were finding their way and learning their and of course mm. usually it was the cheaper films that did that but now and, you know, I, I can also partially point the finger at Star Wars because I'm looking right at you. Um, <laughs> that that crawl in the beginning of the film, which harkens uh, back to the old serials, which, let's face it, I don't know if you've seen one that yeah. was particularly well made, but I haven't. <laughs> um, oh, dude, Flash Gordon rules. Yeah. And, <laughs> hey, Batman. Um, <laughs> they would have to basically say, okay, you're not going to understand anything, and it will take us five chapters to show you what's going on, but instead we're just going to have these words go up at the beginning of the film, in a land before blabbity Um And you know what I'm talking about. And basically yeah, every yeah. genre film post-1977 has a crawl. A lot of them do. Yeah. Or a I mean, voiceover. Even, or some of them both. Even mm. one of my favorite films ever has an opening paragraph. And oh, that's Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. The good version of Blade Runner got rid of the narration, but, you know. Yeah. To be fair, the op- Casablanca, which is, to my mind, one of the greatest movies ever made. You have an opening narration. Yep. And it, but it's very brief. It's very brief. And also, it's not tell. It gives you like one plot point. The rest is all emotion. It's all like, and they sit and wait. And, and wait. wait. And wait. And wait. <laughs> and it's yep. that. It's like, yeah, we, that's not actually plot to say they're waiting, but it's really, it gives that great emotional sense. Anyway, no, no, I wish I'd watched that instead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one day we will. Mm. But. I will say that there's lots of moments excluding the 666, I'm evil, folks. I mean, he might as well just turn to the camera and do his Skeletor laugh at that point. (laughs) He doesn't even do a Skeletor laugh in He-Man. I was really disappointed. I I know. But uh, otherwise, there's lots of things, again, like the little, the microwave dinner thing. That is, there's no reason for that to be in there except to give us an idea of the fact that Corso doesn't even care about himself, Mm -hmm. right? He just cares about money. Um, how he stays in such amazing shape, I'll never know. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of stuff where they just throw in, or, or Polanski just throws stuff in visually so that we don't have to read about it. You know, we don't have that thing in the beginning that says, Dean Corso, a scummy little guy who's no, only no. five he, foot he, five and blah, blah, he's blah. He's really good at setting things up visually. He's with, minim, with a minimum amount. He always has been, the, at least the yeah. movies I've seen. I, I'll give him absolute, absolutely give him credit for that. It's funny, though, what does stand out in terms of exposition is the Baroness. Because all of it, all we've been seeing are these little bits and pieces. And then when he goes and visits this old woman in a wheelchair with one hand, and uh, she suddenly starts telling him, oh, yeah, this book, the book was about this, and there's this secret society, and I was a member, and this and yeah. that. And it's like, God, it actually felt kind of jarring, because both jarring and relieving. It's like, oh, thank God someone's telling us something. <laughs> Interestingly, the woman who played her, who the actress's name I forget off the top of my head, uh, they had originally hired somebody else. 
She was a literal last-minute replacement. She had one day to learn uh, her dialogue. She was and, great. I really yeah, liked she her. was. And I actually liked her because at one point she just you know flat out says, "Oh yeah, I saw the devil once. I saw him as clear as I'm seeing you right now when I was 15." And now you know that's like she says that's like now we know why you've spent your entire life with all these books because mm-hmm. you saw something physical. You think. Um, we don't know what she was drinking at the time because yeah. it, it, it might have been Oktoberfest. We don't know. Um, and she's like, yep, now. I, and, and then later I like the fact that she's going, oh, yeah, these people that I used to hang out with because my orgy days are over. And you're going, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> betting they probably are. Um, she flat out tells you that they're that's all fake. You know, yeah. by the time we get there, which is, you know, it is expository. But you're right. We get so little of it in the film. I, I didn't really mind it either. But, but the reason this is a guilty pleasure is partially because of Mr. Polanski. Now, you've been saying all along how great, gray, greasy you feel having watched this movie. Yeah. So what is your feeling? About, now, you've seen Chinatown. I have seen Chinatown. And, I saw Tess of the D'Urbervilles. I've seen a couple, at least one. I saw most of Rosemary's Baby. Uh, I've seen a couple, one or two other Polanski films. Now, Chinatown's supposed to be one of his biggies, right? Yeah. Chinatown is an amazing movie, and you not only need a shower afterwards, you need to get your skin sandblasted. Is that Charlie, They Took My Thumbs? No, no, no. That's oh. uh, no, that's Popo Greenwich Village, and that was not oh. him. Oh. No, no, this is the one where Jack Nicholson gets his nose slit open by a thug played by Roman Polanski. Ah. Yeah. Okay. But, so, we've on one hand, we've got... I'm going to say he's probably... Uh, uneven i don't think that all his films are considered classics this one certainly wasn't yeah so we've got this director who has some amazing work Mm -hmm. and is still making films just nowhere near the united states Mm -hmm. because yeah so what do you think about that what do you think about watching polanski films Uh, honestly i have a lot of trouble with it of all i don't know why him more than say well no i don't want to watch woody allen movies either (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't want to watch him because I just don't like Woody Allen. I just find him incredibly I, annoying. I used to love Woody Allen. Back when he was funny, back when he did comedies. You know, oh, back he, when Saturday Night Live was funny. <laughs> actually, I think it was older than that. But, oh, dear. You know, back when he was doing things like Sleeper and... Uh, <laughs> it was uh, like 1968. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A sleeper and Bananas and... Uh, 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 love everything you want to know about sex. Everything you want to know. Those were hilarious. I loved those. I think they're funny as hell. Now, is that I'd before s- he got all weird and started dating his family? or I don't know. <gasps> That's what it was. He saw that film, A Date With Your Family, and he <laughs> went the wrong way with it. <laughs> okay. It. Oh, dear. Yes. <sighs> Brother seats sister, sister seats the dog, and she... <laughs> <laughs> You're going to put the flowers back in the ground. Um, <laughs> no, no. It... it yeah. Woody, but it, again, I even saw some of his later ones. Woody Allen, again, is a genius. He's a brilliant director. I know he rubs you the wrong way personally, and I know that as a performer, <laughs> but as a director, he's superb. And any movie you see where he does it in New York, it's always, it's like a song. It's like a goddamn song to New York, a love song to the city. He always makes the city look amazing. But anyway, okay. I have trouble watching his stuff now because... Never mind the marriage to Soon Yi. Now the other accusations that like Ronan Farrow is making and that some of his other kids are making. Yeah. And those so far, th- there's no proof. Those those really are just accusations. The problem is when I look at him and I've heard what the way he talks and you hear, know the other stuff he's done, It's 
a lot easier to believe. And Polanski, I don't think he ever denied what he did. Nope. Well, let's put it this way. Nothing I've seen has said that he denied yeah. what he did. To the best, yeah, um, likewise. I, I don't know that he has ever denied that he had, that he, he never did. I did not have sex with that little girl. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. To get your sax out and play that yeah. tune twice. Yeah, yeah. Um, Again, that's different. I do Ms. not Lewin- recall. Ms. Ms. Lewinsky was an adult anyway. Yeah. But, of course, he was the most powerful man on earth, and there's a problem there. But, anyway, there's a whole other can of beans. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's that same thing that we came up with with Kevin Spacey. and yeah. What do we do with that? What I mean, I don't. Does that mean I can never watch The Usual Suspects again? I don't. I don't want to do that. And yeah, I don't either. Now, I mean, here's the thing: yeah. I might not go see new movies yeah. by Polanski. I mean, to be fair, what, I don't even remember how I found this one because I don't think I saw it in the theater. Huh. I don't remember, but I don't think I did, and I can't for the life of me figure it out why I watched this because it's usually categorized as a horror film which it really isn't and i don't like horror films for the most part um unless they're really bad or they're really goofy yeah but the ones that are really good i had no thanks the ring yeah you can keep that um layer of the white worm on the other hand (laughs) (laughs) well my name's kevin but my mates call me kev um yeah that i mean that was fun that's good and i keep forgetting hugh grant's in that yeah yeah so weird (laughs) yeah anyway but yeah yeah i won't i won't spend any more money on on roman polanski yeah. but i already own this film but of course to be fair we knew about this this film came out in 99 i want to say that uh, it was what like 70 it was in the, mid pretty sure it was in the 70s that the accusations came out and that he right. fled the fled the country right and they keep trying to bring him back and he keeps he i mean he's smart enough that he doesn't go to countries that have direct extradition to the states yeah um this film was was filmed in france spain and portugal just like they said and it looks great i mean Mm. it's it's that time period where you believe that the world was bigger than it is now now everything just seems like another bus station (laughs) um but and I, you know, I have watched this film mostly in the background, but there's just something about it. I think it honestly has to do with certain other guilty films that I'll talk about in the final segment. But uh, I guess I already own it. You know, like my watching it's not going to change anything, right? It's not mm-hmm. going to give him more money. Mm-hmm. But yeah. he's a reprehensible human being. Yeah. Um, he has avoided guilt, or not avoided guilt. He's, he's avoided, avoided punishment punishment for 40 years Mm. um a lot of people in hollywood now are kind of boycotting him or don't want him you know getting awards and stuff like although he still occasionally gets nominated for i think it's only been a couple years since he was nominated for one yeah yeah i think so yeah and then you know now we got johnny depp who's turning out to be you know not as reprehensible or maybe he i don't know we don't know yet but yeah he's Uh, certainly been accused of being pretty reprehensible um I find some of his films reprehensible, but that yeah. has, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm looking at you, Tonto. Really? <laughs> really? Really? Well, he is 194th Cherokee. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I'm related to... Uh, uh, um, oh, Ge- oh, Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> actually, I don't know that, but it wouldn't surprise me. It's amazing people that have done that that uh, little test. Oh, yeah. And it's like, yeah, you're like 1-100th Chinese, like what i was like and how is that possible apparently if you call the number the people there are ready they just go genghis khan because <laughs> man did that guy get around anyway yeah, yeah. uh 
I could easily see saying, you know, I'm not going to see another Depp film. I don't need to. I didn't need to do this. I'm certainly not going to go looking for Kevin Spacey anymore. And again, this is, a, you know, we've we talked about this problem in episode three where it's like, well, what about all the other people that were involved in making this film? You know, do they now not get paid? Well, I guess they did get paid. So yeah. whatever. But I, I would probably like I could easily see not going to look at any of his past films going, you know, I don't want to put this guy on a pedestal. And I don't, this film, we'll get to that in the last segment, but eh. um, I would say that if you have any qualms about watching a Polanski film, don't pick this one. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to swallow your, your uh, distaste because yeah. you just want to because Polanski is an important director. He's made a lot of difference and he's a very good director. But if you're going to, you know, say, okay, I'm going to bite the bullet and watch a Polanski film, pick a better one. Yeah. There are a lot of them. Pick, yeah, and pick Johnny Depp. The thing I will say about this is that I I have to put it up as one of my favorite performances of his because he's not the hero, mm. and he's not doing a Tom Cruise where it's like, oh, it's another film about how wonderful I am. Mm. And to be fair, Cruise has much less evidence of doing that than Depp has. Depp has used to have a much broader spectrum in his career than he does now. Now it's just you know who's he playing for Halloween. Um, <laughs> Well, it is. And Tom mm. Cruise, almost every film, it's about how wonderful Tom Cruise is, except Magnolia. my favorite performance was Magnolia. Yeah. And I give him kudos for that because he is a reprehensible character in that, and he does a great job at it. <laughs> I would argue in Rain Man, he's, his character is in many ways not very likable, or certainly starts out not likable. It's not the usual Cruise character, yeah. no. He does come about, but he's still kind of slimy. Yeah. Um, it's also, I have to give... Uh, Dustin Hoffman uh, credit for that one because that's an incredible performance too um, but that's that's besides the point we should get to our final segment ah yes the roundup and our final segment is a recipe for pea soup so first you start off with no um, I'm gonna go first oh, no. ah, Max Jack, what? can you understand any way any reason why I might like this film I, I and it's funny. I'm not sure why you would want to watch it that many times. As I say, I found it unobjectionable. Uh-huh. I just didn't find it that interesting. Uh, I, I it, it hints at a lot that I thought would be interesting. The whole world of the booksellers and the whole world of the occult books. And I liked. I I, I thought, oh wow, this could be interesting. Are they going to talk about how the, you know these different made up texts fit together? Or it's like, oh nope, it's devil worship, and I want to rule the world. Yeah. And that was kind of that. But again, uh, Emmanuel Seigneur, who plays the girl, first off, wow, those eyes. I know, right? I wow. like the little subtle. Did you actually notice? I'm not sure I noticed the first time. Did you notice the few times where they eyes were suddenly glowing. got greener? Yes, yeah. they were actually glowing. And I like that because it wasn't like, you know, 400 mil, you know, suddenly arc lights go off behind her eyeballs. It's a very, it's a fairly subtle effect, which you could even argue was like light reflecting off her eyes. Right. But they're very clearly glowing and they become greener. And that was actually really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I thought she was really good. I like, she, she's one of those characters I like because they, they've always got that sort of sense of, you know, I get the joke. Mm-hmm. I get, you know, I, I'm in on a joke that uh, the, the guy I'm with doesn't get. He doesn't know it. I think that's hilarious. I will say she can certainly take care of herself. Mm-hmm. Yep. I like okay. the one time when she actually gets hit in the face and she's not like hurt and she doesn't like cower. She's just surprised. She's like, oh, this is new. Yeah, she just sort of looks at him like, really? And then she, you know, kicks oh. the crap out of him. Yeah. 
Um, I, I wish I, so I think that the reason that I like this film as much as I do mm-hmm. is it occupies what is sadly a very small niche of films, mm-hmm. um, all of which are bad. Uh, <laughs> and I'm looking at films like, oh, any film based on a Dan Brown novel. You, okay, what? Are you you're blanking on Dan Brown? No, I know Da Vinci, da Vinci Code, Code and yeah. So, and I and the Da Vinci Code movies are terrible. Mm. They really are bad. Um, and if you think those are bad, you should read the book. Um, because I swear, oh, if you've read one of them, you've read all of them. Oh, really? I think if you read the Hardy Boys, you've because <laughs> honestly, I read I the only reason I read Da Vinci Code was because I was working at a major bookseller who shall remain nameless at the time. <laughs> and I'd never read a bestseller, quote unquote. And I thought, you know, this thing's big. Maybe I should check this out. And luckily at the time working there, you could check it out. Like I could take the book home and read it. And I remember it's like, wait, this is supposed to be considered a serious book. There are chapters that are literally one page long and end with exclamation points. Uh, And I was just like, and then Frank and Joe fell through the ice. Will Chet save them? You do keep wondering, you know, Jeepers, Biff, you think the Vatican's involved in this? Goshers. Gosh, Frank, we got to stop those Opus Dei no goodniks. We got to get in our boat, the sleuth, and solve this mystery. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was a big Hardy Boys fan when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that the, what's what made the book interesting was all of the research done. The research mm. is fun and fascinating, even if he stole some of it. Um, yeah, and I actually, really, if you're interested in that, skip the book and read Holy Blood, Holy uh, Holy Grail, Holy Blood. Right. Mm. Uh, and I actually did like the research in uh, the one that came after. What was that? What was it? It was the Angels the, and one Demons. About, no, 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 no. The one that had to do with the... Uh, it's the one they haven't made into a movie yet. It's the one that had to do with oh, the, the uh, Masons. Oh, the, the final symbol or something. The something last like symbol. that. Yeah. And, it, like, the fact that there's a Darth Vader carved into a building in, in D.C., I think that's awesome. Uh, and there is, in fact, this amazing uh, mural on the ceiling of, a, of an official building. I don't remember which one. Showing George Washington basically shirtless but ripped like the Hulk <laughs> sitting there as a godlike figure. And it's like, um... Somebody really had it for George because that's <laughs> weird. That's yeah, yeah. shirtless George is just weird because it's not like young shirtless George. He's still got the white wig and everything. Um, and so the, the 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 research is fun, but the movies the movies are. Uh, but wait, what I, type of movie? How are you grouping Ninth Gate with the uh, the the Da Vinci Code? They are these weird occult treasure hunt movies. And there's really not many of them. And every once in a while, there's another one. I'm not going to mention it because it might actually show up in the series. But there's another one of which there are two. And you can probably guess what it is. um, That involves... I'm going to steal the Statue of Liberty. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't decided yet. (laughs) I don't know why. Because this is all the elements of a film starring Nicolas Cage. In a role that won't surprise you. Uh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, we may or may not oh, talk about it, but one of my guilty pleasures is um, National Treasure. Oh, and dear. It's awful. It's really bad. But there's something about that whole treasure hunt, um, occult or or ancient spirits of evil transform this <laughs> oh, oh no. god now we're going to mum okay yeah sorry about that um i don't know there's I, I and i'll watch that and then i'll be like what else is there and i'll watch the second one it's like what else is there and it you, you end up with um uh da vinci code mm-hmm. 
and then you might go to angels and demons and it's like what else is there and you get to ninth gate and they're all kind of occult old ancient artifact treasure hunt kind of movies and then after that the best you can come up with really is tomb raider which Mm. to be fair i've also watched a number of times and which is horrible um Yes, but there's but like this. There, there, there are things that that appeal to me in Tomb Raider that would not appeal to you. I think. I can think of two of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, you could also point at the Indy Jones films. The Indy Jones films are basically the good versions of that little niche genre, yeah. subgenre thing. Yeah, the, yeah, but and, and only two of movies. them really, because um, yeah. the other two are kind of horrible. Mm. Um, although I, even when I saw. Uh, temple of doom i actually liked it when i saw it in the theater why i don't know but i was the only one in the group who did um but there's just not a lot of those and i i i like them and i'm not gonna go back and watch the remake of alan quartermain because i'm just not no. <laughs> do you remember that one with uh, what's his name from yes, um, R- richard chamberlain or, yeah. no that was the, yeah. M- maybe he'd like a duck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway yeah I think that's going to kind of wrap up uh, our, our discussion on the Ninth Gate. Uh, Mike says he likes it and he doesn't know why, and there's lots of reasons that you shouldn't watch it. Max will agree with the latter part of that, and we'll probably now watch it again. Or am I wrong? But again, it's not... No, I don't think it's a terrible movie. I don't know. I might watch it again, but it's not bad. Again, it's... It, the thing is, I, it, it's to me, it's not worth getting over my dislike of Roman Polanski to watch. There are movies of his I will, in effect, choke choke down my feelings about him to watch. This isn't one of them. It's not a bad movie. I just don't think it's that great. Cool. Yeah. Well, what movie might be bad, but you think is that great? Now, this is one, again, stretching the definition, because a lot of people like this movie. But the movie we're going to be talking about next week is the uh, John Cusack movie, Gross Point Blank. Uh, Excuse me? Gross that point. is grossy pointy blanky. <laughs> no, I believe it's grosse pointe blanc. Pointe, pointe, pointe blanca. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just a bird in the sky. <laughs> and this is a movie I I really like parts of it. I think this movie is very flawed, but I think there's some really wonderful bits to it. I just don't think it hangs together. But I'll we'll see what we'll, we'll talk about that next week. And what I think is, it's time to end the show. Max, would you end the show, please? I will. Showius endius! This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.